Welcome to Village Church Online. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church, and this has been an unprecedented week to say the least. But whether virus or not, the people of God, we are going to gather together and we're going to worship together. Now, over the next three weeks, we're not going to actually have worship in the physical building. So we have three places where you can find us for the next three Sundays. The first is at vcob.org. On there, you'll find everything you need for our stream of our service for village kids, community group questions, Q&A podcasts, giving, next steps, and more. You can also find us on our Facebook page as well as our YouTube YouTube page, and we want to invite you to worship with us over the next three weeks. Now, for some of you, this is your first time at Village Church, and we want to welcome you. Uh, if you go to vcob.org, there's a Next Steps page, and, and you'll see three different cards there. The first card is our Next Steps card, and, and this is our way of saying, how can we help you take a next step at Village Church or spiritually or in your walk with the Lord? If you fill that out, one of our Connection Team members would love to follow up with you and serve you. There's also a prayer card. We would love the opportunity to go before the Lord and pray for you. You can fill that out. Out, and we will definitely do that this week. And we'd also love to follow up with you if you'd like that as well. Uh, lastly, there's an I'm new card. Again, if it's your first or second time here, and we'd love the opportunity to say hello to you and meet with you and help you take your next step here at Village Church. You'll also see at vcob.org, there is a giving page. Now, most of Village Church, we automate our giving. Uh, most churches over the next two months are expecting the giving to go down quite a bit. But over the next two months, our demands are actually going up quite a bit. So if you would do us a favor, if you're a regular member or attendee at Village Church, would you go to the giving page and would you set up automatic giving? It would help us have a regular tithe and offering over the next two months as things get a little bit crazy around us and we're all at home. I uh, also want to invite you to check out our Q&A podcast. Susan and I went into the studio. We recorded five episodes specifically answering questions that we've received about COVID-19, about how the church should respond, about what it means to be a bright light in this world in dark times, about what we should tell our kids. Uh, one of the questions was even about what we have learned as leaders over the last week. Love to have you join us there. You can also go to our homepage, vcob.org. You can submit any questions you have, and Susan and I are going to go after those, and we're going to open up God's Word and help us think biblically about the times that we're in. Now, even though most things around us have been canceled, at Village Church, there is one event that has not been canceled. That is our men's retreat in Lake Geneva, April 3rd to the 5th. Men, there are a few open spots. want to encourage you to jump in. We're going to have an amazing time together, open up God's word, and grow in the Lord. There's a few spots, so sign up, vcob.org. Lastly, Good Friday and Easter are right around the corner. And our prayer is that we are going to be in this room celebrating the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. We have two Good Friday services at the Village Church of Barlip. They're going to be at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. On Easter Sunday, we have three services, 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m. At the 8 a.m. service, there'll be no Village Kids, but at the 9.30 and 11.15, we'll have Village Kids, and we are going to come together, and we're going to celebrate, God willing, in this room together, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to ask if you'd pray with me, and then we are going to sing to our great God together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are thankful for technology. We are thankful for community. We are thankful for, most importantly, you and your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Sin wreaks havoc on this world, and yet you are faithful. Thank you for Jesus that you have given us your son who shed blood covers the sin of anyone who would place their faith in him. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that validates that the death of Jesus is not just some random death of another man, but truly Jesus was the Son of God with power, and his death and resurrection are effective to cover the sins of anybody who would place their faith in Jesus. Lord, as this whole world feels like it's going crazy to some degree, you are faithful, you are good, and you are constant, and it is our joy, it is our honor to worship you now and to lift high the name of Jesus. And so we do that just now. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's worship together our Lord in song.
John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world.
Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are excited to be able to be together to worship you. Thank you that you have overcome. Oh boy, there's just, uh, this week has been upside down for every person that's watching, for every person that's here. It's been, uh, it's been a roller coaster. So it's good to be reminded, Father, that you have overcome every tribulation, every trial, every fear. Uh, there's nothing tomorrow that surprises you because you're already there. So thank you, Father, that you're there and that you love us. Thank you that you have overcome this world and that we are on your side. So bless us now as we look into your word. Bless us as we continue to worship. May you be our focus and our attention as we listen to what you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, Village Church. How good to see you this morning. Welcome to our service. We're glad that you're here. I want to welcome all those that are watching us online. We're excited that you're joining us as well. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm from Village Church East. Uh, that is actually east of here, which is why we give it that really cool name. I want to welcome all our Village Church East folks as well. Thank you that you are here with us this morning and joining us as well as online. Uh, and thank you to Village Church of Bartlett for allowing us to kind of piggyback on your, on your live stream. Uh, we actually don't know what we're doing from week to week, just like you don't know what you're doing from week to week. It's like nobody knows these days. Uh, but today we're excited that we're here and we're excited that you're here and we're excited that we get to be a part of a church that values fellowship and f worship like we do. Everyone is having to adjust their lives in some way and so we're glad you're adjusting with us. Our preference, of course, would be to see you here in person, but uh, even though you can't be with us, for those of you that are, uh, we are greatly glad that you are with us. Now, for some of you here, if I didn't shake your hand today, please forgive me. It is not because of the coronavirus. It's because everyone's out of toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, you got to think about that for a second, right? Seriously, out of bashful, dock, dopey, sleepy, happy, and grumpy, who would have thought it'd be sneezy that get the first one to kicked out of the group? Yeah, 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 yeah. You like that? Yeah. One sneeze. Yeah. Sometimes things are out of control and we have to adjust. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, actually, with this person that we've been studying, this person in the Old Testament named Moses. And you've chosen to be in a good place over the next few minutes as we look into his life, because like his life was turned upside down, our life is getting turned upside down. Flights have been canceled, sports have been canceled. Gatherings of all kinds have been canceled. Everything of value has been locked behind sanitized doors, including Michael Fueling. And uh, so he, he lets me preach this morning. So you're stuck with me today. So if the message is not to your liking, it's his fault. Now, the reason I did that is because I wanted to introduce how bad excuses are. How many of you love to hear a good excuse? Like, not really anybody, right? If it's creative, you like it. But otherwise, it's kind of like, that's really irritating when somebody excuses what they're doing. We live in a world that's plagued by excuses. And Moses is about to be called to do one of the greatest jobs in all of human history. No one else would do the job that Moses is called to do. And Moses comes up this morning with all kinds of excuses to convince God he's not the man for the job. And you're about to hear some pretty creative excuses that he calls on God for, for, for naming him the wrong fella for the job. Uh, okay, so some excuses. I thought I'd give you some this morning, all right? Some excuses why people choose not to go to work. So if you don't go to work, like nowadays, you know, everybody's going, it's coronavirus. All right, I'm buying that. Like, that's a good one. Stick with that. It'll last for a while, but eventually it'll die out. But for now, here's some that I found online. These are actual excuses that people use for not coming to work. One employee said he forgot that he had been hired for the job. One employee couldn't come in because his sobriety device wouldn't allow him to start his car. Now think about that for a second. That was his excuse. One employee said he could not come in because she had been emotionally upset after watching the Hunger Games. Creative, creative. One employee hurt his back while chasing a beaver. I know, I know. I just had to stick that one in there because it's hilarious. One employee said his wife had put every last pair of his underwear in the washing machine. And I had to think about that because I think I actually used that one before. One of my favorite excuses is this one, and I was going to wear this t-shirt, but I just thought I'd display it for you. Isn't that great? It's not my fault. I was unsupervised at the time. We get all kinds of excuses. Do you have any good excuses that people have given to you? Husbands, what's a good excuse that your wife... Uh, let's start with wives. Wives, what is a good excuse you've heard from your husband? 
<laughs> yeah, do you have one? Oh, I forgot. That's a good one. Yeah, that's that's overused to some degree. Yeah. All right. Well, I have some good excuses that your uh, your husband have, has. Or, I'm sorry. What were you on? Husbands, good excuses from your wives. I forgot. <laughs> touche, touche. Uh, children, good excuses from your parents. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because that's actually the one I write down. The best excuse any kid has ever heard from their parent is always the same because I told you so, right? Isn't that a great one? Why do I do this? Because I told you so. Psychologists actually put excuses in the self-handicapping category. They serve as a distraction of sorts that prevent us from having to achieve some tasks that we don't want to do. They actually stem from a deeper unconscious desire to protect ourselves, or as Freud might say it, our ego, against two things, shame and anxiety. I mean, think about it. Why do you come up with an excuse? Probably because you have some shame or anxiety about whatever it is you haven't done or did do. For instance, if somebody asks you, why did you get a bad score on that test? Well, you come up with all kinds of things. Why? Because you're immediately full of shame and anxiety and you think you have to, 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 to say something so that you can defend yourself. You want to pr- protect yourself from being attacked. So you come up with a few things. The test was unfair. The teacher wasn't clear. I was sick. The dog ate my homework. Aliens abducted me. I mean, you're going to come up with some creative excuse in order to protect yourself because of shame. Benjamin Franklin said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Now, Moses has already been called by God to do a job, right? And what is his message? He's called by God to go to Pharaoh with a job. And it's really easy, and we all know it. What is the job that Moses is called to do? Give a message to Pharaoh, and the message is, let my people go. Easy. But last week, we come up with this first big excuse, and that is, who am I? And God says to him, amazingly, he doesn't answer him. He simply says, I'll go with you. That's a powerful message. Because I often think to myself, like, who am I to do blank? And it's good to know that whatever God calls me to do, he equips me, he'll go with me. I'm not going on my own. For Moses, that had to be great comfort. So he said, okay, he sees this burning bush. He talks to God in the burning bush. Burning bush says, I'm God, I'm God of your fathers. All right, all right, super, I know who you are now. What do you want me to do? Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Who am I to do that? I'll go with you. Good, I'm good to go. Nope. He comes up with five really creative excuses to convince God he's not the right guy for the job. Verse 13, we're picking up in Genesis, uh, Genesis. we're picking up in Exodus chapter three, and we're gonna start at verse 13. So if you're using your Bibles or your LCD screens, uh, Exodus, Exodus 3.13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Now this is interesting because this is the second excuse. The first excuse is, who am I? The second excuse is, who are you? He's asking God, who are you? And interestingly enough, he's not saying, they meaning the Egyptians or the Pharaoh or his entourage, they're not gonna believe me. He's saying the elders of Israel will not believe me. When I come to them and say, I'm the guy God sent to get us out. He's not talking about Pharaoh. And Moses is scared that the people he had shares blood with, these Israelites, are not going to believe him. So Moses is about to come up with some creative excuses. And and Moses, again, full of anxiety, full of shame, because he's just murdered somebody to try and make a name for himself among the Israelites. He's second in command in, in, in uh, Egypt, and he tries to take this authority in the wrong way. So God asks Moses to go back and face the very thing he's been happy to forget and leave behind for the last 40 years. No wonder he's trying to make up excuses. So he says, all right, who am I? Who are you? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, surely this, uh, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now the natural question at this point is, what do you mean the I am has sent me to you? Do the elders of Israel not know the name of God? 
Well, it's interesting that God has been written as this I am name before, but he's never been introduced with this name before. This is his first formal introduction before somebody saying his name. And it's also interesting, Moses is the one who writes this. Moses writes the Pentateuch, so every time Moses writes about God from now on and, and, and bringing up all the stories in Genesis, he is the one who imposes I am, the name of God, because he is the first one who has received the formal introduction by God. Now, this is what the name looks like in Hebrew. This is called the Tetragrammaton, and we could spend a lot of time on this because it's a really cool study, but I don't have the time to do it this morning. Other than to tell you, it's four consonants that make no sense. Think of, your, think of a name to yourself made up of four consonants and try and pronounce it. It's unpronounceable. And it's such a holy name, the divine name, that the children of Israel, the Hebrews, would not pronounce it either. Every time you see this name in the Old Testament, it's always written as capital L-O-R-D. Every time you see capital L-O-R-D in scripture, that is the name Yahweh. We're not exactly sure how to pronounce it. It could be Yahya, could be Yahoo, could be Yahoo. It could be pronounced a lot of different ways. Yuhu. <laughs> but we're not sure exactly how to pronounce it. All we know is it is a derivative of the I am verb in the Hebrew language. So what God is saying is, tell them the I am verb sent you. Now, that, that's kind of weird, right? Kind of weird to think about God as the I am verb. And like I said, we could do a big study on this. But I think the bottom line of this is simply the understanding that God derives his being from no other thing. Yahweh is the be verb because God is the be God. He is the God who de depends on nothing else, gets authority from nothing else, asks for permission from nothing else. Everything else exudes from God. For Moses, he knew all kinds of gods. He knew the Nile God. He knew the sun God. He knew, he knew the, the fertility God. He knew the rain God. There's all kinds of gods that Moses could choose from. He grew up with them. Now he's in Midian, and there's all kinds of other gods as well. And whatever you want, you pray to that specific God. God, Yahweh, is saying, I derive my meaning, my permission, my authority, my existence from no other thing. I am the thing that gives everything else permission. I am the thing that controls every other thing. Yahweh is God's way of telling us he is capital T-H-E, God. There are no other gods. Every other God that we worship is a derivative of the one true God. So my, my advice to you is drop all the other gods. They get their permission from God. Yahweh God, the God that we worship. He is the one true God. He calls the shots. He doesn't need permission from anyone else to call the shots. Everything else gets its permission from him. In fact, Yahweh is the God of being that gives all other things their meaning. And so when Moses says to God, he literally says, what God is sending me? The bush replies, God being present in the bush. God replies to him, tell them the I am sent you. The God who needs permission from no one and certainly not Pharaoh. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, see that capital L-O-R-D, so we know that is what name? Yahweh. Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. Do you get the idea that Moses is infatuated with the name of God? He is, and he's the one that gets the first formal introduction. Over the rest of chapter three, God reveals every single detail of what Moses is gonna go through. He tells them that, Moses, that Pharaoh's not going to listen to him. He says the, the elders of Israel will listen to him. I mean, he tells them everything that's going to happen. He's, he says, I'm going to bring really nasty things on the land. Bad things are about to happen. And in the end, Pharaoh will finally let you go. And for the rest of chapter 3, it's all, I'm in control, Moses, go. So now you think to yourself, okay, he meets the I am. There's no greater God, this greatest God that there possibly can be ever in existence. Introduces himself to Moses, says, you're my guy, Go. Bada bing, bada boom, we're good to go. Not with Moses. He gets creative. Verse one, chapter four. 
Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord, Yahweh, did not appear to you. Excuse number three, I don't got the cred. I don't have the credibility to pull this off. No one's gonna believe you, believe me. And listen, who would blame them? They don't really like Moses. He abandoned them. Moses was not exactly a stick-to-it kind of guy. Besides, they're going to look at Moses and they're going to say, Moses, God doesn't appear to people. That's not how it works. So we're not going to believe you. The problem is God has already said that they would believe him. Moses is doubting God's ability to make this happen. Verse 2. So God gives him proof to show the leaders of Israel. In verse two, he says, the Lord, Yahweh said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran away from it. Now, why a snake? I I, I really was infatuated by this. Why does God make a staff turn into a snake? Other than it's a really good trick. Like why, and and it'd be good to do at parties, right? Oh yeah, 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 that's nothing. Watch this, snake run. That'd be cool. But why the snake in Egypt? And there's a big reason. And I want to tell you, you probably already know this. The snake is a symbol of Wajit. This is an early Egyptian goddess who was said to control everything in the land. This was symbolized, this Wajit, this goddess, is symbolized in Pharaoh's sovereignty, royalty, deity, and authority. This Wajit gave Pharaoh all his control, his permission to be who he was, just like Yahweh was giving Moses his permission to be who he wanted him to be. Now, the reason I said you probably know this is because you've probably seen this before. On the headrest of every pharaoh, there is a snake. That is a symbol of the authority that the wadjet gives to the pharaoh. So every headrest of every pharaoh has a snake on it. This goddess of power grants the authority to the pharaoh. And why the staff? Because the staff is a symbol of how you, how you distribute your authority. And so he has the staff. Staff turns into a snake. All of a sudden, God begins to attack the gods of Egypt. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand out and catch it by the tail. Hang on a second. If a snake's on the loose, how many people think it is A, a good thing to catch it by the tail, or B, get rid of the person who thinks it's a good idea to catch it by the tail? A, no, B, (laughs) you don't catch a snake by the tail. Snakes are wiggly little things. You catch it by the tail, that snake's gonna bite you, right? Moses has his first opportunity to operate in faith. And he does, he doesn't catch it by the head, so he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. And I think this is a breakthrough for Moses. I think he begins to believe that this God can really pull it off. And then God gives him two other great miracles to pull off. Instead of smiting Moses for arguing and coming up with excuses as an employee that won't do what he's told, God equips Moses. He gives him the the snake and the staff. We already talked about that. He gives him another really cool miracle, and that is he turns his hand, puts his hand in his his, uh, cloak and pulls it out. It's leprous. And then if he puts his hand back in his cloak and he pulls it out, it's good again. That's a pretty cool party trick. Hey, everybody, watch this. Woo! If you pull a hand out and it's leprous, what do you think everybody's going to do around you? They're going to run. If you hear somebody coughing these days, what do you do? (laughs) You run, right? Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine a leprous hand? Leprosy is extremely contagious. Yeah, and the last thing is he turns life to death. God has the power of visual authority, the snake and the staff. He controls disease, the leprous hand, and he turns life to death. The Nile brought life to Egypt, and God gave Moses the ability to pick up water out of the Nile, pour it on the ground, and it became blood. Party tricks. But not to entertain, to strike fear into the hearts of the people who see them. Why? Because these are all things that the Egyptians greatly fear. So I'm sitting there studying with the, with the staff, and I'm thinking to myself, why not rabbits in hats? That's a pretty party, that's a pretty cool party trick, right? Nothing in the hat, we got a rabbit, and you got dinner. So I'm thinking to myself, that's a pretty cool trick. 
But not in this case. Why these things? Why these miracles? It's because in the ancient Near East, there was a great fear over disease and blood. You get a disease, you're probably going to die. And if blood's involved, you're definitely on one-way course. Leprosy will kill you. It'll get you thrown out of society. Can you imagine how Moses felt when he stuck his hand in and pulled it out and it was leprous? And then God says, don't worry, do it again. Whole. God controlled the things that people fear the most. Let me say that one more time because I think we need to hear that, don't you? God controls the things people fear the most. Sickness, death, disease. Disease in this day, in Moses' day, will end your existence and it'll destroy a nation. Look at what one virus has done to the world. God controls the things that people fear the most. And God gives these powerful signs to Moses, the excuse-riddled employee, so that he could do them for Pharaoh. And they would validate his message. Verse 10. But Moses said, now you think to yourself at this point, all right, I know who God is. I know who I am. I know God's going with me. I got these really cool tricks I can do to validate my message. I'm good to go. Not for Moses, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord. (laughs) When he addresses him, he doesn't use his name. Small L-O-R-D. Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've started speaking to me. Nothing miraculous has helped my tongue. I am of slow speech and of tongue. In other words, excuse number four is, I don't got the skill. I don't have the ability to pull off what you're asking me to do. I don't speak good. Get it? I don't speak good. How many of us have felt the same way when we're called to speak out for our faith? Now, it's not like he's actually saying, I'm not good at speaking. He might actually have a stutter. He might have a slow tongue. Maybe he didn't have the stream of consciousness of Michael Fueling. I don't know, whatever it was. Have you ever heard this guy go? Seriously, if you haven't tried the Q&A podcast, you should really try him out because he does not use a script and he just flies out there. I don't have that ability. The irony is God has already told Moses that these people are going to listen to him. They're going to listen to you, Moses. And Moses says, "Ah, I don't speak good. Listen, when God calls you to be a spokesperson for him, it has very little to do with how you speak. It has everything to do with who you believe God is. God is the message that cannot fail. It doesn't matter if you've just come to know the Lord and just surrendered your life to follow him, or you've been a believer for a long time, a follower of his for a long time. It's not you that makes the message believable. It is the Holy Spirit that uses you and your tongue to complete the task. Jesus, in this bush, says the same thing to Moses. Verse 11, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You know what he's saying? He's saying, I already know how you speak, Moses. I made you that way. Now therefore, verse 12, Go. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Now, do you not get the impression that God is extremely patient with Moses here? Well, this actually, if you read it in the Hebrew, this literally, now therefore go, is just like, will you please just stop talking? Please just stop talking. Stop talking. Stop talking. Please just stop talking. Go. I've heard enough. I know what I can do. I know what you can do. I made you. Let's just get the job done. Verse 13. Excuse number five. But Moses said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Do you know what his last excuse was? (laughs) I love this. I just don't really want to go. I'm doing like a lot of other things right now. I got these sheep here. I got stuff I got to do. I got my schedule. You know, not go to work for three weeks. I can't do that. People depend on me. The world revolves around me. This is just really inconvenient for me, he says. And it's interesting when he says, Lord, he uses this word like, nah. It's a Hebrew word that means, please, please send somebody else. This is nah. It's the same word we get Hosanna from. You know, when we say Hosanna, 
Lord, save now, please. It's like almost a demand, please. It's the same word the children of Israel are using to cry out to God for their freedom. Please save us. And Moses uses the same word to say, please don't send me. This is such an inconvenience for Moses. He's comfortable, he's fat, and he just doesn't want to change. So this is whittling all down. Moses doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to go in the first place. And then verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Then it was. You know what this actually means? <laughs> Again, I looked these up in the Hebrew because I love it. If you, this is, there's always a picture here. This picture is, this literally says, the nostrils of Yahweh heated up. Have you ever been so, so, so mad that your nostrils heat up? Like a dragon, you know? <laughs> yeah. All the moms are going, oh yeah, yeah. You know my kids? Literally, the Lord was angry with Moses because his heart is laid bare. He was comfortable with what he had made of his own life. He didn't want God to interrupt his life. He just wanted a little bit of religion and a lot of his own way. He's not sure he wanted God to run his life. And yet God is still gracious, verse 14, and he said, God said, is, this not, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth. In other words, God says, I'm done listening to your excuses. Not only will I provide somebody to speak for you, but I'm going to give you a friend. Aaron can go with you, and you can work together. And this is how God ends it. Now, are you embarrassed for Moses? <laughs> yeah, me too. Such a high responsibility. I mean, we're talking about him in 2020, right? Such a high responsibility, such a lifetime worth of impact. And he fought it all the way. Such an awesome opportunity. Only Moses, if only he could see the future and know what we know today. If only he could see and know the great things he was going to experience with God. Getting the people out of Egypt, receiving the Ten Commandments, water from a rock, talking to God. This is a regular thing for this guy. In the New Testament, it says that his face would glow every time he talked with God, so they had to stick a bag over his head. I mean, wouldn't you love to have those experiences? Look at how this guy's trying to talk God out of it. Choose somebody else. Michael says... If you knew what God knows, you do what God does every single time. I've improved that. I would say if you knew what God knows, you would do what God wants you to do every single time. And I put my name on it just so you would remember. <laughs> so my question to you is simply this. What does God want you to do? Well, I don't know, Craig. I haven't seen a burning bush in my backyard in the near, in the near past or I don't see one in the near future. Well, let me give you a couple of tips as we close up. I want to give you a couple of tips. And the first one is the biggest one. It's like, it's like a breakthrough moment, and this is it. Just do something. Just do something. Just do anything. What would church be like today around the world if we all just did something? There's lots of places you could start. You could just submit to that person. You could just honor the king. You could bite your tongue. You could love your wife. You could honor your husband. You could obey your parents and the Lord. You can speak the name of Jesus to somebody others in a normal sentence, not as a swear word. Just do something. And when you do something, you'll discover your gifting. You'll discover how God wants to use you. I didn't wake up one morning and think to myself, hey, I'm going to be a preacher. <laughs> I kind of fought that for a while, actually. But I did something. And then I found out I liked that something, so I did something else. And then I found out I liked that something, and I did something else. And here I am in 2020 preaching to you. Just do something. I'm not sure what I need to succeed. That, that might be your, your thing. You know, yeah, well, Craig, I don't, I don't know why I have everything I need to succeed. Okay, Moses. Because that's Moses' excuse. But I want you to know where God calls, God equips. He's already equipped you for the situation he needs you to be in. And he's already prepped the situation for, for you to be there. God has everything you need. So number two, stop trying to find excuses. What is, what is God asking you to do that you're currently making excuses not to do? Oh, it's 
painful to ask that. I can imagine how painful it is to hear it. What is God asking you to do that you're currently making excuses not to do? Moses is hoping that he'll land on an excuse that God will buy. It's like God will go, well, the other four weren't very good, but that's a good one, I'll buy that one. Remember why we come up with excuses in the first place. Do you remember? Shame or anxiety? And every time God asks you to walk into a situation, I would venture to say, if you have an excuse, it's because you are fighting shame or anxiety. So my advice to you is give it to the Lord. He's equipped you. He's prepped the situation. He put you there. Watch what God can do. Don't let Satan sell you cheap excuses for missing out on God's opportunities. Just know it will definitely take you out of your comfort zone. And it might take away some things you currently enjoy. But what you walk into, you have no idea what God has planned. Brings me to number three. If God calls us, he will support us and he will equip us. You have the I am behind you, surrounding you, protecting you, equipping you. You have the I am with you. You don't have some cheap Nile God or rain God or sun God or some God that derives its authority and asks for permission from somebody else. You've got the God, the one true living God. And in 2 Peter 1.3, Peter writes to us and says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things, church? All things. How many things do you have that you need? All things. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and existence. My friends in the military come to me once in a while and they'll say, Craig, I I got activated last night. Do you know what that means? That means that they got the call, they gotta go to the battlefield, They they gotta move. They're prepping to go to Afghanistan or Iraq or something. Who here thinks that they will go and their division leader wouldn't put them on a battlefield without anybody else around them? Who here thinks that the division leader that called them up and activated them and called them to go to this field would put them out on the battlefield without a weapon? Who thinks that they'll not be given the best armor your taxes can buy? Whoever activated them will provide for them. And if you've decided to follow Jesus Christ as your savior, you've been activated by the power of God. Nobody is called to sit. Everyone is called to serve. So if you've been called, you've been given everything you need, all that you need in order to do what God has called you to do. Well, Craig, I don't know where to start. Oh, I'm so glad I'm doing this message because it's perfect for where we are today. Start with where you are right now. What do I mean by that? You know God has put you in such a place as this for such a time as this. How many of us have experienced life shutting down for three weeks or more? None of us. This is brand new to us, right? The world, the lid's gone, the the lid's off crazy. And the world is scared to death. They don't know what's in the future. But I want to tell you, God's plans for you have put you in the middle of a coronavirus outbreak. You are here because God has put you here. God didn't wake up one morning and go, I didn't see that coming. God has built you into who you are, given you the gifts that you have, given you his power, and put you into the scenarios you're in so that you can take his message, not let my people go. But there is a God who loves you. There's a God who died for you. There's a God who can protect you, who controls the future, and you don't have to fear. Quote this verse to everyone you see. Here's an idea. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of what, church? Power and love and self-control. One translation says, a sound mind. Do you know how many people do not have a sound mind today? Paul speaks to Timothy in this passage and reminds him of a valuable trait of the Spirit of God. Power, love, sound mind, they're yours. If you have the Spirit of God inside of you, if God loves you and you follow him, you've got the ability to demonstrate power, love, and self-control or a sound mind even in the middle of crazy. 
Dig into God's word. Rediscover old passages that you know in light of this new situation. How's this one? Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Now, does that mean a little more these days? There's all kinds of verses like that. And they all apply to this time and to your situation. Take this message of God's power to those living in fear. Live without fear (laughs) and trust God and then tell other people, I don't fear, I trust God. Now they might look at you like a little bit of a kook or they might say, you're not losing the money I am. But you see, it still applies. I trust God. If you trust in your bank account, (laughs) I got got news for you. It can lose 10,000 points in one week. Yeah, didn't see that coming. God did, God did. He's got your future plan and he doesn't need a dollar to do it. Trust the Lord, live without fear and tell other people that you believe God is in control because you live like he is. I don't know why God is allowing this fear to spread across this world and the virus to shut the world down but I do know this, he's still in control. I do know this, he still loves you. I still, uh, he still loves us. I may not be learning, I, I, I may be learning I can't trust my stock markets, airlines, income for my business, school classroom schedules, stores to stock up on toilet paper, but I know I can trust him. Let that be your message to the world. Most of us have lived the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years trying to build a comfortable life for ourselves and a comfortable future, and it can be gone like that. We want to hang on to it. Like Moses. We'd love to just be comfortable, everything to work out perfect, and us to be in control. I don't know, <clears throat> I, don't, I know you don't like to be activated any more than Moses did, but your comfort is not as important as the message you're called to share. There are people living in fear. So let's live like God's in control. God is giving us this opportunity. Church, God is giving us this opportunity literally on a silver platter. The world is afraid, broken and hurting. Money is trickling away. Futures are uncertain. Comforts are being ripped off grocery shelves. And you've been activated. And I've been activated. When you least expected it. When it's most inconvenient. But it's the same message. And the question is, do you believe it? You're called. You're equipped and you're empowered by God. God's given you all you need, no excuses. Let's pray. So Father, it is really weird to live in a world that all goes crazy at the same time, where future is really uncertain and fear rules the day. And yet none of this surprises you or changes you or convinces you of anything that you already do not know. Thank you, Father, for being the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you for loving us the same. Thank you for protecting us the same. Thank you for giving us your word the same. Thank you for reminding us constantly that you love us and you're right there with us. Help us not to be like Moses and try and think of a million ways we can get out of this. But help us to really believe who you are and who we are. You are God, and we are your servants. We're excited to take your message of freedom and hope to a world that lives in fear. Help us to do it really well. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.
Amen. Amen. Well, at the Village Church, at the end of each service, we ask the same question. What is your next step? When we think about the word calling, there's a few calls on our life. And the first one is to trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are with the Lord, but I do know this. He loves you, and he's called you to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And today, if you want to place your faith in Jesus, it would just be our joy to celebrate with you. If you go to vcob.org, there's a card that says next steps. And right on there, I place my faith in Jesus. And we would love to follow up with you, celebrate with you, pray for you, resource you, do anything we can to help you grow in your relationship with God. There's another call, which is just to love our neighbors, to take care of the needs around us, village church, friends, people watching online. This is an opportunity for the church to rise up and love people really, really well, to speak truth, to be confident that our God is truly in control. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He is the I Am. He has all of this under control, and we are in his hands. He is a good and faithful God. There's another call, which is to use your spiritual gifts to serve the church and to be the person God's made you to be and to pour your life out for the building up of the kingdom of God. Uh, We'd love to help you take those next steps. Maybe some of you just need prayer. You can go on to the prayer card, fill that out. We'd love to pray for you. I want to close and I want to read from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, Village Church, it has been a joy to worship together with you. We'll be right back here next week. Thank you for joining us in worship.